Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. I'm not the Zodiac, and if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Between Art and Life, an audio essay on Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, written and read by Ethan Warren, produced and edited by Blake Howard. The cinema is not an art which films life, 
The cinema is something between art and life. The cinema both gives to life and takes from it. Jean-Luc Godard. Real one, art, eight millimeter. So what do you know about art, kid? So snarls John Ford, apparently the greatest film director ever to live, in the closing moments of Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans. Ford's question is profound, and it's one that the film's protagonist, aspiring filmmaker Sammy Fableman, struggles to answer. Art, though, has been exerting its awesome power over Sammy for more than a decade now, going back to when he was six years old. In the opening moments of The Fablemans, as far from John Ford as we're privy to, Sammy's parents, Bert and Mitzi, bring him to his first movie, Cecil B. DeMille's The Greatest Show on Earth. Mitzi informs Sammy that by the time the movie is over, he'll have the biggest, sloppiest smile on his face, but Sammy's response isn't so simple. Instead, his first encounter with the art form to which he'll devote his life is one of awe, but a terrified sort of awe. Art has the capacity to change everything for this young man, and the emotional growth spurt triggered by DeMille's film is powerful, but it's painful too. His father hoped to indoctrinate Sammy into the cult of science via the marvels of motion pictures, while his mother hoped to invite him into an unforgettable dream world. Instead, Sammy landed somewhere in between. So what does Sammy know about art by the time he meets John Ford? Well, his primary lesson has come from his mother's uncle Boris, a one-time lion tamer. Family art. <coughs> It'll tear you in two. Art will give you crowns in heaven and laurels on earth. But it'll tear your heart out and leave you lonely. You'll be a shanda for your loved ones, an exile in the desert, a gypsy. Art is no game. In Boris's worldview, one can either choose the path of conventional life, or one can choose the path of art. What the Fablemans, both the family and the film that bears their name, attest to, though, is the power of life as an art. Boris characterizes artistry as the ability to prevent a lion from biting off your head. And yet this is what we all do every day, attempt to move through a precarious existence that we might survive through not just fortitude, but some sort of grace. Life is an art, and art is no game. Mitzi Fableman sees art as a sacred space in which she can build her life. You know what I miss most about the piano? Surrendering to the score. Knowing Bach is going to tell you how first this note, then this chord, then you open your hand, you stretch down an octave. Making a little world you can be safe and happy in. Mitzi's own worldview allows for another dichotomy, that between artists like herself and Sammy, the budding filmmaker, and scientists like Bert, the engineering whiz. Yet Bert sounds for all the world like his own type of artist, one who can play electricity the way Mitzi plays the keys. And it's Sammy who manages to bridge these two forms of art when he uses a pin to prick holes in his film reels, simulating gunfire. The apparent chasm between art and science is so vast it pulls Bert and Mitzi apart but there, standing in the middle, is Sammy, trying to make some kind of sense out of life, art, and everything in between. And now, here's Nikki Dolson with the first of several readings from Who is Steven Spielberg by author Stephanie Spinner. When Steven Spielberg was 10, he borrowed his father's movie camera. 
He used it to film all kinds of things, model train wrecks, camping trips. While other kids played sports, Stephen dreamed up stories to film. He developed the knack of persuading his parents, his sisters, and anybody else who was around to put on costumes and act for him. Today, just about everybody knows who Steven Spielberg is. His work has dazzled fans all over the world, but his favorite place is still behind a movie camera. Sammy Fableman is vaulted into adolescence via a match cut. Having leapt out of the family car to film it pulling into their new home, he calls... Stop! And with that, we have leapt into the future. It's a cut as striking as the one that triggers the first act break in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like Kubrick's apes, Sammy has mastered a tool, his movie camera, his second and increasingly primary eye. And so he has managed an evolutionary leap. And like the apes' mastery of their own tools, Sammy's leap was triggered by a mysterious and monolithic force. Movies. Not the technical craft, but the very concept of the medium as something he can hold in his hand. And from there, movies guide him through the successive evolutionary jumps that lend this film its form, leapfrogging across time as a budding consciousness takes shape. In 1977, while promoting Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Steven Spielberg described what he saw as the most powerful feeling in so-called entertainment. People are always looking for, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess, the cosmic entertainment. I was just as interested in finding out why people looked to the skies and want to believe as I was in looking to the skies myself to try to understand what's happening up there. The Fablements is a story about wanting to believe, but its gaze isn't cast towards the sky so much as it is towards the future, what might be, and towards the past, what was, and the hope of locating oneself in between the two poles. The desire to get your feet planted solidly enough to leap towards something better than the fate you fear you're destined for. Each of the film's characters swims in this liminal space, trying to keep their head above water. And for Sammy, the life preserver is his camera, that deceptively simple machine that lends him some control over his fate, even as it threatens his ability to form a true connection with those around him. As Stephen A. Walt wrote in his book on Duel, Steven Spielberg's first feature film, quote, Claiming such control over the world around him by capturing memories from his own point of view gave the young boy a voice and a modicum of command over an ever-changing environment. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. 
Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. End quote. Real 2. Life. 16 millimeter. Steven Allen Spielberg was born on December 18, 1946, in Cincinnati, Ohio. World War II was finally over and the country was getting back to normal. Life was safe, peaceful, and just a little bit dull. Steven's parents, Leah Posner and Arnold Spielberg, were Jewish, the children of immigrants. Though they were both from Cincinnati, they didn't meet until 1942, after Arnold had enlisted in the army. Shortly after their first and only date, he was shipped off to fight in Burma. But he and Leah wrote to each other until he came home in 1944, and they were married the next year. Arnold loved science and machines. Leah was very creative. She had relatives in vaudeville and the theater. One of her uncles was a lion tamer a fairly unusual profession for someone in an Orthodox Jewish family. It was difficult to find a place where the family could put down roots. Going from one school to another was hard for Stephen. As soon as he got to know kids his own age, the family was on the move again. He was always the new boy in class and spent a lot of his childhood feeling like an outsider. The divorce of Arnold and Leah has loomed large in their son Stephen's filmography. The separation of two parents haunts E.T., while Spielberg would go on to cite Close Encounters of the Third Kind as his first really personal movie, due to its focus on a family's dissolution. As Nigel Morris wrote in his book The Cinema of Steven Spielberg, Empire of Light, the emotional appeal of Spielberg's films, quote, "...involves a recurring narrative structure centered on a family splitting, which leads eventually either to reunion or a spiritual substitute." Through this theme of wish fulfillment, together with the cinematic illusions and symbolic lighting, the films reflect upon as much as demonstrate the alleged function of popular cinema as an escape. End quote. If Steven Spielberg is known as a populist filmmaker, he is known, too, as a child of divorce. The truth of Arnold and Leah's divorce, though, was not widely known until the release of Susan Lacey's 2017 HBO documentary Spielberg. There, at last, the Spielbergs described the true circumstances of the family's separation. 
I fell in love with somebody else. I was madly in love with Bernie Adler. I look back, I think, how dared I do that? But I really didn't care at that point. It was all about me and my unhappiness. Bernie had been my father's best friend, and he was a fixture. It was like having an uncle. I never would tell the kids that she divorced me. Instead, I let them think I divorced her. Why did you do that? Protecting her, because she's fragile. And she still is. And so I figured I could be hurt less than she. I still loved her. Through the fictionalized fablements, Spielberg revealed further truths. Like Spielberg, Sammy comes to realize the facts of his mother's emotional infidelity when he is tasked with filming and editing a family camping trip. It's a story Spielberg alluded to as early as 1978, but again, the truth was held back. Then how did your interest in movies first develop? It developed because my father would take a lot of home movies on our camping trips. I had an outdoorsy family, and we would spend three-day weekends on outings and sleeping bags in the middle of the wilderness up in the White Mountains of Arizona. My dad would take the camera along and film the trips, and we'd sit down and watch the footage a week later. It would put me right to sleep. But how did you actually get started making films? Well, I'd take the camera and then kind of heighten the reality of the field trip. I'd make my parents let me out of the car so I could run up ahead 200 yards. Then I'd wave them forward, and then they'd pull up and get out of the car and start unpacking. I began to actually stage the camping trips and later cut the bad footage out. This bad footage, as any viewer of The Fablemans will recognize, was the footage of his mother stealing away for private moments with his father's best friend. In a 2022 Directors Guild conversation with Paul Thomas Anderson, Spielberg described the life-altering result of discovering his mother's buried truths via his own camera lens. It's very difficult because I discovered, not with my naked eyes, I discovered on film through the medium of 8mm film what was going on. It's very similar to what the way, the way we wrote it and shot it. Right. And, um, and, you know, and it's a very strange thing when you're only 16 years old and you discover this and you've got this secret and you have this responsibility and you realize that if you say the wrong thing, it could end the whole family. And so yeah. I, I didn't say very much for like a year and a half. I, I sat on this before ever confiding in my mom about what, and then showing my mom what Sammy shows, Mitzi. But... That was the time that my mom went from a parent to a person. The story of Arnold and Leah's divorce is something the family tried to grapple with through art decades earlier when Stephen's sister, Anne, wrote a screenplay entitled I'll Be Home. In 1999, Stephen revealed the script's existence to Stephen J. Dubner in a profile for the New York Times, and Dubner described the filmmaker's expression as wistful. Spielberg said, quote, my big fear is that my mom and dad won't like it and will think it's an insult and won't share my loving yet critical point of view about what it was like to grow up with them, end quote. Dubner went on to suggest, quote, There's a poignant friction at work here, the artist who wants to tell a story, the man who is unwilling to offend. It's a friction that Steven Spielberg may never resolve, end quote. As it turned out, resolving that friction would take two factors. For one, it would take the deaths of Leah, who passed in 2017 at age 97, and Arnold, who passed in 2020 at age 103, leading Spielberg to attempt what he described to Paul Thomas Anderson as an effort to mourn them and even, quote, bring them back, end quote. But it would also take a writer without the last name Spielberg. Playwright Tony Kushner has been collaborating with Spielberg since 2005's Munich. He would go on to write 2012's Lincoln and readapt West Side Story for Spielberg's 2021 version. 
On The Fablemans, the two share screenplay credit, and the collaboration was the result of years of private discussion. As Kushner said in a 2022 interview with No Film School, And the more I got to know Stephen, the more I began. I'm an old Freudian. I've been in psychoanalysis (laughs) for a billion years. So the more I got to know him, the more I started thinking, oh, I see, you know, this is a consequence of of this thing that he's told me, that thing that he's told me. And really fascinated uh, about the way in which the uh, uses to which he put filmmaking as a as a as a young kid led him into this very scary place sort of protected him made the world seem uh organizable and 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 controllable until it led him off the cliff uh, into you know uh, adult realities that that were far beyond his or even the adults power to control and that moved me very deeply because I think that that's the extraordinary thing about art, both for audiences and for artists. It's a dream, but it has real-life meaning and sometimes real-life consequences. As Stephen A. Walt wrote in his book on Duel, quote, It was with his eye pressed to the tiny viewfinder of the movie camera that Steve found himself truly in control of the world around him, in command of time and space itself. End quote. Real three, between, 35 millimeter. Steven Spielberg's 1971 feature Duel tells the story of an inexorable chase between an anxious man and a brutal force of pure malice. In a 2021 essay for Brightwall Dark Room, Elizabeth Cantwell described the film's plot as, quote, quite simple. A man driving home from a business trip is terrorized by an unhinged malicious truck, not a truck driver. No, we never actually see the driver just a truly ugly behemoth of a truck. So we watch man versus machine, David versus Goliath, purposeful character against seemingly purposeless and unknown evil. 90 minutes of tight, mean, tense driving, a movie as a balloon filling up with air to the point of bursting. As Cantwell went on to write, quote, the film is a poem. It slips so easily into metaphor, end quote. In Susan Lacey's documentary, Spielberg admits that Duel was partially inspired by his own experiences being bullied in high school. Quote, the truck was the bully and the car was me. End quote. Spielberg goes on to recall his financiers hoping the truck would be eliminated via some outrageous display of pyrotechnics, but he preferred to punish the truck in a more deliberately brutal way, allowing the audience to watch it be demolished in painstaking detail. The threat must be eradicated in the most unmistakable way possible, But before inflicting this fate on the truck, he inflicted it on his bully. Just as we see in The Fablemans, Spielberg was enlisted to make a movie documenting his senior class field trip, and he used his camera to inflate the stature of the person who had treated him so cruelly. And just as we see in The Fablemans, the bully found the effect so overwhelmingly powerful that he lashed out at the young director. In life, the bully retreated in tears, but in their artful revision, Spielberg and Kushner imagined the conversation that might have followed. I made you look like you could fly. But I can't fly. I can outrun any guy in Santa Clara County, and I worked real hard to do that. But you, you make me feel like I'm some kind of failure, or a phony, or, or like I'm supposed to be some guy I'm never gonna be. Not even in my dreams. You took that guy, whoever he is, wherever you got him from, and you put him up there on that screen and told everyone, everyone that that's me. And that's not me, that's, it's... God damn it. 
Spielberg and cinematographer Janusz Kaminski drenched the scene in movie magic, pastel pinks and golds wreathing Sammy and his bully, while the camera follows them balletically. The entire effect is as expressionistic and ecstatic as any in West Side Story, and it would seem conspicuous that Sammy's film, a project that proves so profound, is an essentially populist work, a frothy entertainment of exactly the type Spielberg himself has been criticized for specializing in. There's a power to escapism, Spielberg seems to assert. There's meaning in believing a man can fly. Speaking to Paul Thomas Anderson in 2022, Spielberg described the key realization that settled upon him during the confrontation with his bully. Quote, I really felt that my movie camera was both my way into acceptance and also could be used as a defensive weapon. End quote. This feeling of self-defense emerges during one of the most poignant scenes in The Fablemans. As Bert and Mitzi announce their divorce, Sammy's sisters begin sobbing, begging their parents not to do this. Yet Sammy instead slips into a reverie. He sees himself filming the encounter, putting a lens between himself and his experiences, and so removing the need to be personally impacted. By rendering his life as art, he can make the former manageable, while making the latter even more impactful. Earlier, Mitzi has said of one of Sammy's movies, It's so beautiful what you've made, darling. But what has Sammy made? As with all of his projects, he has constructed the artful version of something messy and painful. The Fablemans is a story concerned with many things, but they all boil down to one key question. How do we manage a life that is so messy and so often painful? What tools might we grasp for in the dark? And if we manage to catch art in our hands, could that be enough to teach us how to live? Mitzi Fableman struggles to speak her feelings, perhaps because she struggles to acknowledge them herself. She searches constantly for something, some frizzen of life. It's this urge that brings her out of the house during a tornado, chasing the awesome force with desperate yearning. Everything happens for a reason, she assures herself after that natural force has nearly killed them all. She makes her children repeat it until it seems to encompass her entire desperate search for a coherent worldview. Everything happens for a reason. It has to, or else how can we live with our own mistakes? At one point, Mitzi describes an urge to express herself to Bert, to share her loneliness and her sorrow, but instead of being able to ask for what she really needed, she could only request some menial task. She asked Bert to go outside and adjust the TV antenna. Unable to tell him that her love for him was fracturing, she asked for a demonstration of his love for her. But even as Bert fixed the antenna using his talent for electricity to enhance the household's reception of art, still it wasn't enough to put everything right. Just before another of his evolutionary leaps, Sammy and Mitzi find a moment of mutual catharsis. She apologizes for one of the film's ugliest moments, which saw her lash out at him not just emotionally but physically, a moment of brutal flailing that she can only chalk up to her own profound confusion over who she is and what she wants. Now, finally able to account for herself, she makes an announcement to her eldest child, and, in a bittersweet twist of fate, her closest confidant. 
I'm doing this thing. And I, I don't know if it's the right thing, but it's a life and death thing for me. And I'm sorry, but everybody else is going to have to hang on for dear life. And somehow, we will survive this, all of us. Somehow, they will survive this life. And to do it, they'll have to put their heads in a lion's mouth and find a way to keep it from snapping its jaws, as artful an act as any other, at least according to Uncle Boris. In his own way, Bert must find the art in living or else sacrifice his ability to live any kind of life at all. Bert's story may appear to be the film's true tragedy as we leave him living in an apartment voluntarily estranged from his wife, daughters, and one-time best friend. Yet it's Bert who insists that the Fablemans have not reached the end of their story. In Susan Lacey's documentary, Tony Kushner makes a key claim concerning Steven Spielberg's worldview. There's a sense that everything, including the natural world, conspires to pull people or beings apart from one another and then to return them. There's, there's, there's a, a deep faith in his work that um, what's lost will in some way be restored. And I think he is searching for that in almost all the films that he's made. In life, Arnold Spielberg and his ex-wife Leah were reunited in their old age, not as lovers, but as best friends. In art, though, this happy ending must be left to implication. Bert won't allow the ending of the Fablemans to mean the end of his family, and that hope must be enough to sustain us as we move back into the light ourselves. During one of their most frightening encounters, Sammy's bully makes a conspicuous threat. I will hurt you worse than you have ever been hurt. This, of course, is what Sammy does to him. The circumstances of that hurt echo a line of Mitzi's, a joyous expression that will shortly be turned on its head. You've really seen me. Sammy has seen both Mitzi and his bully, and he has allowed them to be seen by themselves, but it's a self that has been filtered through the lens of art. Lenses separate everyone in the Fablemans. At one point, Sammy takes a home movie, but family friend, and soon his stepfather, Benny, turns a lens on him, photographing the photographer, all of it photographed by Steven Spielberg. Each of us carries a personal lens. Some of us just carry it on the outside. Sammy's camera lens allows him to process his pain. Even when he disavows filmmaking, he sleeps with his camera beneath him, and he wrestles with his need to film life by way of processing it. He simply can't give it up. And we might imagine Sammy continuing to process his own struggles by one day making a debut feature film of his own, one concerning an unstoppable force of life's brutality. In her essay for Brightwall Dark Room, Elizabeth Cantwell described the final moments of Duel, in which the protagonist, aptly named Man, processes first his relief and then his despair. The truck is gone, but that central elemental quest, a man trying to get back home, hasn't been fulfilled. Where is he now? What's the likelihood of anyone coming by anytime soon? What remains for man but the ruins of his own personal life, professional life, transportation, sanity? After Duel premiered, not in cinemas but on television, Spielberg received a call from his one-time bully. As he told Paul Thomas Anderson, My assistant comes into my office and says, Do you know a so-and-so? I'm not going to mention his name. Do you know a so-and-so? And my heart froze. Mm. He says he went to high school with you? He says he knows you from your senior year, and I don't know what to do. 
do I answer the phone? What do I do? I just, it was, I was suddenly, it was, it was very PTSD. I was suddenly back there again. And I pressed a little lit button on those old phones and picked up the phone. And he was happy and joyful and saying, hey, are you the same? It's, everybody knew you was Steve, but it says Steven Spielberg on television. Are you that same guy that went to school with this? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, I saw this movie last night you made. That was great. So you really became a director. God, you got to do what you wanted to do. But the catharsis wasn't quite so simple. What was he doing now, Spielberg asked this figure who, to him, represented nothing but cruelty. Well, the director learned, the unstoppable force had become a cop. Steven Spielberg has never settled for being just a super successful Hollywood director. He has always made the movies he wanted to make. He has been honored by the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, and the White House. He was made a Knight of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth II, given a Knight Commander's Cross of the Order of Merit by the government of Germany, and made a Commander of the Order of the Crown in Belgium. His films have set and broken box office records for decades. They often show how acts of personal courage can change history. They have made people millions and millions of people laugh, cry, cheer, and hyperventilate. And it all started in 1957, when he borrowed his father's movie camera. The Fablemans leaves us with a variety of painful, dangling questions. If anything, Sammy is left more confused by the climax than he has been at any point before. When his bully offers him a joint, Sammy demurs, asking what the experience of being stoned might feel like. It kind of shows you how out of control everything is and how you're not in charge of anything. And and how it doesn't matter. I better not. In my head, everything's already out of control. Sammy has found precious little catharsis and thus little is offered to the audience. But as Spielberg said in 1978, I don't think in any of my films the end answers all the questions. Each act has a climax, so that the final act probably answers the most cosmic question, but not everything. In the closing moments of The Fablemans, John Ford presents Sammy with one lesson and one lesson only. The placement of the horizon within a frame means the difference between an interesting image and one that's boring as shit. Forget the characters and any plot details you might derive from their behavior. Ford just asks Sammy one seemingly simple question. Where's the horizon? The, the horizon? Where is it? He may be asking Sammy to locate the dividing line in a two-dimensional image, but he also seems to be asking the three-dimensional young man a four-dimensional question. Where's your own vanishing point, kid? What is the dividing line in your own psyche, and what are you going to do to get there? When we bid Sammy farewell, he's walking happily towards a horizon he now knows how to find. But just before Sammy disappears, Steven Spielberg makes his director's cameo. We don't see him, but with a simple movement of the image, we detect his presence on our side of the lens. Spielberg's unseen hand grabs the image and shifts it. The horizon moves to the bottom of the frame. There. Now that's interesting. And cut. That was the first One Heat Minute Productions presents one-off audio essays. Huge thank you to Ethan Warren, who, if you haven't heard of him, 
has bylines over at Brightwall Darkroom, where he was an editor-at-large for many years, Polygon. He also has a book coming out in April, The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, coming out from Wallflower Books, which is a imprint of the Columbia University Press. If you want to find out how to pre-order Ethan's book or to follow Ethan's Between Art and Life Substack, you can simply go to his Twitter, which is at Ethan underscore Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N underscore. All the details are there. You're going to hear from Ethan more in April when our Pod Thomas Anderson series kicks off, and you can find out the details about that show on OneHeatMinute.com. Now to our contributors and our participants. A special thank you to Elizabeth Cantwell, who you can find over right now on Twitter at E-C- Cantwell, C-A-N-T-W-E-L-L. She is a person who contributes to Brightwall Darkroom, who has incredible work there. Not only the work that was read out in this show, but many other things. You can also find her at ecantwell.com. Thank you, Elizabeth. I'm a huge admirer of your work, and I just really appreciate that in some way you've been part of this series. It's starting off just as a special guest. Maybe sometime in the future, we'll have a whole show dedicated to an Elizabeth Cantwell piece. We never know. Now to two of my friends who aren't known for their voice acting, but nonetheless provided such essential voices and characterizations for this episode and hopefully many more episodes to come. Firstly, writer Nikki Dolson. You can find Nikki at at Nikki Dolson, N-I-K-K-I-D-O-L-S-O-N on Twitter and at NikkiDolson.com. She is the author of a gut-wrenchingly sensational and evocative novel, Love and Other Criminal Behavior. She's a dear friend. Nikki, thank you so much for doing this. It's been a treat to have you. And she's in an extended family, um, you know, the stepchild lounge. I'll give them all a shout out right now that uh, I just love every single one of them. And Nikki came to the rescue on this, reading out excerpts from Stephanie Spinner's Who is Steven Spielberg? Now, who was our young Steven Spielberg in this show? That was, of course, a dear friend of mine, Liam Billingham. You can find Liam at Liam G. Billingham, B-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-M on Twitter. His new show, Die Hard on a Blank, is found at diehardonablank.com. It's a show about the influence of everything Uh, in action cinema since Die Hard and how things are sort of retroactively uh, being mapped to its influence. A great show. I'm probably going to pop up on it at some point. I'm looking forward to Liam and his new co-host coming on the show to talk about it. He's also the producer of Romarecast, The Lit Up Show, and produces podcasts over at Sugar23. Thank you, my friend, for exercising those axing muscles that you haven't used in many years. For all the folks who are listening, oneheatminute.com mail at One Heat Minute if you're interested in pitching. And if you want to support and see this grow into a show that is not only monthly, but maybe fortnightly, but hell, maybe even weekly, go over to oneheatminute.com. You can get a link to our Patreon, which is patreon forward slash One Heat Minute and be a producer of this show too. Thanks for listening. Hey, 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 